positive feedback loop. Welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is the podcast where we talk about all sorts of crazy things and we like to disagree with each other. So today we have the topic of pets. But first, I'd like to introduce ourselves. I'm Stephanie, and these are my co-hosts, Luis and Ray. Hello! Hi there. The topic of pets must begin with a definition. I think pets are animals that are owned by humans. It gets do they have to be animals? That. Well, Ooh, two things. One, they do have to be animals. That, rock. that wasn't an animal. Actually, that, is a, that is a that's toy, a thing. Not, a, not a pet. That is a toy, not a pet. And but second it's called of all, a pet rock. Second of all, not just any animal you owned by humans is a pet. Otherwise, cows would be pets. They are very much... Not pets. They could be a pet if you have they, you, a cow growing up. You can have a pet cow, but for the most part, it requires a level of affection and seeing them as a sort of pseudo family member compared to, let's say, you know, an animal for slaughter. All right. So, or a rock for slaughter, I guess. So, if you're if a you farmer, a these are not all your pets. Your That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So, if you're a farmer, you have all these animals, they're not your pets. Pets are defined not just as owned and domesticated, but with some level of affection to the level of being perhaps a pseudo-family member. All right. And you cannot eat a pet. I don't I know. Say. That's debatable. That's debatable. It's not, yeah, I, it's debatable. I don't even know if they have to be domesticated. I mean, think about pet snakes. They're still pets, but, I mean, it'd be hard to argue that the snake has been domesticated. Tamed, maybe, not domesticated. Well, I, I guess, know. I I guess think any snakes... animal that's taken out of its wild context is now no longer she... wild. It's got that's a whole new being taken care of, right? That is not the same thing as domesticated. Steph, I think, what, I mean, uh, Luis, what she's saying, I think it's, if it's not living in the wild and it's living in a domesticated home, then it's considered domesticated. I don't think the behavior has to necessarily do with that the, is the domesticity of this animal. That is a tamed animal. A but, domesticated animal has to follow specific guidelines for it being domesticated. The same way that a cow is a domesticated bovine, okay. a snake is not domesticated because it doesn't it doesn't follow the same rules. There has to be a level of genetic manipulation in the way that like it's like it's evolved over time thanks to human intervention where it becomes one humans are around to make sure that we can get through several life cycles of them or at least one life cycle two we need to make sure that they are docile and three they shouldn't be trying to escape be have an easy time escaping basically it's, it's, I don't think escaping has anything to do with it. I mean, domestication, yeah. according to Charles Darwin, was just that that they have some sort of traits that are different from their wild ancestors and that they have some sort of relationship of influence with humans so that humans take care of something. It could be their reproduction. It could be their feeding. Yeah, but it's multi-generational. It's not, it's not a one-off If you thing. buy your snake from the pet store, it's... Definitely multi-generational. I think we're talking semantics here. Uh, for real, because I think that you're both right. 
And let's let's take it beyond though. So we have you know our pets, the way that we define them, the way that we uh, think about them as part of the family member. I want to kind of discuss that point you made, Luis. So there are people who you know decided you know I'm not going to have kids. So I'm just going to have you know a few dogs and cats or like some some other animals um, in the house, and that's their kids. That's how they treat them. So I just wonder how, you know, with the population growing at exponential rates, how is, you know, that adoption of animals as our children, how is that going to, you know, change the definition of having pets? Right. I, I'm going to, I have an actually a point to nitpick with this. I just, I find that there's been a transition in the last few years. I don't know if a few years, but it's been a while coming, I guess. I don't know where I've noticed people stop referring to themselves as pet owners and more as pet parents. Right. Which is new to me, because I'd never heard that before the last decade. Like, that's... In the last few years is when I started noticing it. And I haven't owned a pet since I was eight. So I could just be completely off here. And I also owned a pet in another country. So again, I may just not be tapped into the American culture that I missed, but... It, I don't know how I feel about that. I Honestly, while I agree that maybe it's not the best idea to refer to animals that are live with us as something we own, as an object, as depriving them of their personhood, kind of, I guess would be the way to refer to that. I, I am uncomfortable calling them our children as well. It sounds because like that, you're giving them personhood, though, if you're... At- Yes. Treating your animals like children is giving them personhood. You mentioned it might take away personhood. I I said that being a pet owner removes personhood because it's kind of like having slaves or property. And that could depend. If you're more of an animal rights person, then you might see it more as slaves or like you might see that more of a bad thing. If you're more of a status quo person you might see that more as just the way things are animals are there for us not we're not you know you're not there to share the planet with us we're there to use them i agree with you on the point that so i changed how i feel then i think we are actually agreeing in that sense because i was recently thinking about how people well when you said that people call themselves dog parents like i'm a dog mom i've seen that a lot on instagram bios Something I've noticed is that people consider themselves parents of these animals, but they don't give them the privileges of children. They may discipline them and feed them and even love them intensely, but they don't, for example, necessarily seek for their education to go as far as it can or to develop certain talents. Like some people train their dogs, but like people care about their children going to college. Or, are you going to give your, your dogs you know? a college education? You got a job? No, but like, like, you don't expect the same thing of, of pets. Pets are supposed to be there more as a form of entertainment than anything. Well, that's, why, more I'm saying, that's why I'm saying that I, I think that, that people are trying to give them some sort of personhood status by calling them children, but they don't treat them like children. If they did, they would seek for them to... Uh, fulfill the measure of their creation to the maximum to to learn as much as they can or whatever your idea of success is you know you have people who have both pets and children and they want their children to 
uh, I don't know, let's say they want them to become doctors, but the pet, they're like, just lie there. I just want to love you as a dog sleeping all day. Right? I just want to point something out. So for I disagree because uh, there you have different expectations, right? That's a human being has different a different mental capacity, at least from what we understand. And yeah, fair, uh, based absolutely. on evidence, I mean that that's pretty true. And you know the animal has it's a limited capacity. You you still these pet moms still want their dogs to be pretty intelligent. You know, use the you know go to the bathroom outside eat, um, listen to, you know, sit, come, all these like different action terms that you want your dog to obey. I think that's part of the education. It's not like they just let them lay there and do nothing. They like play with them. They stimulate them socially. They take them to the dog park and they kind of uh, create a bond with them and they become companions. So they do serve that purpose. In that way, they're, you know, you can consider your child or your family member to be sort of like a companion at some point in your life, right? Uh, especially, so, yeah. I, I've been a little cavalier, I'll admit. At the top of the podcast, I was I, I have known people who have treated pets, oftentimes, and in some cases that I personally know, because they cannot have children, pets have been their stand-in for children that they cannot have. And... It, while I personally feel feel a little icky about the whole concept of a pet parent, because it seems, I guess, unnatural to me, just the, the idea of you being a parent to another species that has such a completely different way of working in the world, the world to the point where we don't even know if... The, we still don't understand sentience in humans. How the heck are we supposed to understand it in an animal that has a different brain structure? Sometimes markedly different. Sometimes it's very similar and sometimes it can express near human levels of intelligence in a lot of aspects. Oftentimes near human being code for near baby or sometimes better than babies. But for the, for the most part, it's hard to know what's happening up there in their heads. But that doesn't take away from the fact that some people, what they see when they look at these animals is a companion. And while I may not have a pet, at least currently, I've had I had a dog a long time ago. But you know, while I may not currently be in that situation, I can understand that, and I want to give credence to that and uh, support that. So long as you care for your animal properly and you're doing what you can to do good by them, then you know, fair enough. I you can call yourself whatever you want. I'm not gonna. I may grumble a bit in my head, but I'm not gonna like argue at you. Yeah, you know what's uh, that's interesting. I was thinking about situations where a human was raised by animals, and the animal species was actually the one, you know, treating the human like a child. Yeah, in feral children. Yeah, they they yeah. happen sometimes. I mean, it's happened in, in the Jungle Book. Mowgli was raised by who was Mowgli raised by in the the Jungle Book? Is it a bear? Is it a blind? No, the bear was, was the jaguar. The, the puma, I believe. But well, that that's that being said, I mean, there are actual cases of children like that, not just the Jungle Book. Yeah. And oftentimes they have a hard time reintegrating into society. Most feral ch children have had terrible time getting back into society because they're not used to the to human interaction. And it's something that you develop so early on that you don't really get again. So think of language. 
how easy is it to learn a new language when you're in your 20s, right? Imagine having to learn the basics of talking to a person, not talking to another to a person from a different language, just talking, just looking at a face and understanding what that face is saying to you without actually saying words. That's step number one, and it's the biggest step because you've got to be able to differentiate what a person is, what their face is saying, how they're saying it, what words they're using, why their words may not match their face. And there's so many subtleties to the human communication that don't exist in the animal kingdom or at least the rest of the animal kingdom because we are animals that it, it, it is a very difficult time for feral children to reintegrate. And there's a lot of problems associated with it. Thankfully, most people don't try to make them into pets, which is the topic of today. I mean, many people who are pet owners would say that learning a language isn't part the whole part of it, at least going the other way. If you own a dog, for example, dogs have an extremely high amount of emotional intelligence, and they communicate very well and understand very well their human owners, especially if they've had a relationship that is, has lasted several years. And so... I think that there are many animals that even have higher intelligence than ba human babies in many areas because of a development of, of emotional connection with other be animal beings, which kind of shows a really cool community connection between all animals on the earth. That at some base level, we can understand each other. We understand comfort and love, anger, fear, those base emotions we, we can express without words I, I i don't know about that i i think that a lot of that how much of that is anthropomorphized how much of that is humans putting our own emotions on a creature that is inherently alien from us because i mean you'd be hard-pressed to say hey this worm is feeling angry right now right you can't see its face because it doesn't really you know it's tiny and you can't really see it you can't really see, it's hard to imagine that a worm feels love or affection or anger or hatred with a very different central nervous system. It's possible it feels those things, but how do you know without being one? How do you know? And that's really the crux of the problem. I think animals can feel pain. Absolutely. I mean, we can, we can probably see that in a lot of research. I mean, I don't, have, I don't have the research at hand right now, but I'm, I'm sure there's research to support it because I like making unsubstantiated arguments and <laughs> looking terrible on the internet. Um, That's why we're here. Well, there the, is a lot of research for emotion yeah. in animals. I mean, think about uh, John Watson, who was a behaviorist. He did a lot of studies. They were stimulus-based that proved that animals could experience complex emotions. There's one study that's not done by Watson, but, but I remember uh, learning about in college where they had these little monkeys where they had two apparatus in their cage. One was hard and metal and cold and sharp, and it was the one that fed them. And the other one had no utilitarian benefit. It was just furry and warm and had a face on it. And was they, that the, the mom experiment? I think I remember this I'm one. not sure which I, I should ha look it up but I just I mean it's yeah, I remember this, this from like faint memory college. yeah it's from college yeah. it's and I I remember hearing the outcome of this experiment being that they would go when they were hungry to the other food bearing apparatus 
only when they were hungry. They spent the rest of the time, 90% of their waking time, with the furry, warm apparatus with a face on it that looked like, you know, could be their species, maybe their mother. And so this idea of something that has no utilitarian benefit, but having some emotional connection to it, animals experience, I mean, there are a lot, there's a lot of research. I mean, people love animals. So of course there's like tons and tons of research about animals and their emotions, but uh, a lot of people have, have shown that animals don't just experience the basic emotions. We're talking about, you know, fear and anger and, and sadness, but also complex emotions, uh, jealousy, animals experience jealousy, especially when another newer animal is brought in. Sometimes when an owner has a pet first and then has a baby later, somebody I know had two dogs and had the first baby after, and they had to be very careful to show a lot of attention to their dogs when they brought the baby home and not to be overly excited about the baby in front of the dog. So the dogs would know I'm not replacing you or loving this new animal more than you, you know, they, they had to be careful. Otherwise the, the dogs out of jealousy would hurt the baby. And this is, there's history of this in some situations. So the emotions of animals are very complex and, you know, we shouldn't anthropomorphize them, but at the same time we do share a connection. I wonder how many feelings and emotions we haven't been able to or we just haven't experienced as human beings, but for example, other animals or species experience on a daily basis is just part of their nature. We can't really say for certain, right? We just don't have those frameworks of sensing, you know, like what does a spider like anticipate, you know, what is its nature? Does it it look forward to something? Does it feel lust? There's, There's so many aspects to, animals that we will never truly have a measure with. And the thing that's kind of terrifying about pets, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that pets are terrifying because they're not inherently. They're something that we should feel warm and cuddly about. You're not supposed to feel terrified of your pets. But one of the things that I find existentially terrifying about pets is that they make us think about what makes us different? Are we different at all? Why are we so special that we get to own another creature that we suppose is sapient or isn't sapient? Because for the most part, we don't think our pets are sapient. Why are we entitled to this right, right, to own another creature in this sense? Why are we better? What is it about humanity that lets us have conscience in a way that other creatures cannot? Especially because the king of the animal kingdom is considered the animal that usually can eat, <laughs> is at the top of the food chain. Sapien of creatures, the other, yeah. Yeah, that eats the other animals. <laughs> and so pets, that's a kind of a different realm. So let's dig into that in the next section of this episode, and we'll break for a commercial. Have you ever looked at your pet just sitting around all day and thought, I wonder where you really come from? Well, we at Petcestry Genomics are here to answer that question for you. 
Did you know that 1 in 10 dogs are actually related to Genghis Khan's border collie Chuck? Perhaps your furry companion is related to Alexander the Great's pug, Princess Moochums, or Napoleon's beagle, Death Destroyer. Maybe your cockatoo is actually a long-distant relative of Joan of Arc's pet rock. We at Petcestry Genomics are using the latest in genetic research to unearth your furry companion's glorious past. Petcestry Genomics, bringing the pet past to the pet present. Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. Before the commercial, we were talking about pets, and Luis made an interesting point, the existential question of why we have pets, and uh, not just because we're at the top of the food chain, but for other reasons, that somehow we as humans have some desire to own pets, and why is that? I actually did a very unscientific survey (laughs) of my friends and family for the reasons people own pets. And one was one we mentioned uh, today, companionship. Maybe even to replace not having children. But some people have children and they have pets. Sometimes because their children beg them to get a dog, for example. Uh, Others because they're lonely. Goes with the companionship theme. And others actually talked to me about being guilty or feeling guilty about homeless pets. So wanting to take care of pets that would otherwise be killed. Well, this brings up the question that you were bringing up before, Steph, which was about the fact that, you know, why would you, you're not treating them as people. That's the same way you do with children when you can't let them reproduce. But the whole point of that is to not have more homeless pets. A homeless pet can be devastating to an ecosystem and it can just be morally wrong. Just think about the fact that, first of all, cats are not indigenous to most ecosystems and they will freaking destroy everything out there. And the same way, puppy mills are a terrible thing. So, yeah, you probably don't want to have your pets just reproduce willy-nilly because that's probably just going to lead to a lot of hardship for a lot of animals. Yeah, so this guilt that we feel is almost this responsibility for the animals of the earth. It's not just pets as companions or because we're lonely or our children beg us to get a pet for them for their Christmas present or whatever it may be. It may just be the fact that some animals have been domesticated for generations, as we mentioned earlier, to the point where they really can't be released into the wild. And so a roaming dog or cat in a city becomes an ecological problem. And so we feel some sort of responsibility to take in these pets. Otherwise, we have to uh, kill them, which is sad. And that's in the U.S., which has a much more, like, let's let's be honest here. Most westernized, developed nations have a much more friendly outlook towards pets and animals in general. And that's not to say that it's a good outlook, but a much better outlook. Now, I am not vegan. I am not vegetarian. I have my own internal conflicts when it comes to animal rights. But I recognize that Western culture in particular tends to be, or at least developed nations in particular, tend to have a much more positive view and much more caring view towards animals, even when that is still sadly very lacking compared to a lot of other places. A lot of developing countries and countries that are still struggling 
tend to be much less sympathetic towards animals, treating them as either nuisances to be just abused willy-nilly as if it's, there's no consequences. I know that back in back home where, I, where I'm from, like it, people will poison your pets. They'll just do it. Because why not? Wait, what do you they, poison your pets? Like, they'll just poison your dogs. For what purpose? They don't want a there dog living one. by them. Sometimes some people think dogs are loud. They don't want to stay up with them barking at night. doesn't have to be a dog. It can be a cat. They'll just poison yeah. your pets. But they'll poison another person's pets. That's like, isn't, so you're saying that they're basically killing one of the family members of the other family? But they're not or family just, members. They're just, they're, they're not family members. They're just. That's true. No. Like a fun diversion. Because there's plenty of homeless animals around well, anyways. Well, would you. used to seeing them. It's not. You poison your brother's dog for fun? Are you asking me personally? Because no, <laughs> of course I wouldn't. In a. Cuban typical neighborhood. Would you see that? I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I'm assuming not, but there's plenty of... I, I know that I've lost... My, my grandmother has lost plenty of pets because people have just poisoned them. So, I mean, here, I have a qu- follow-up question. It would this. be crazy to ha- if that happened in the United States, people poisoning each other's pets. I think that would be, you know, definitely newsworthy. It'd be different. But that doesn't mean that people treat pets well, necessarily. So related question, which is, you know, treating pets well. We've all had pets. And I thought we could share our experiences with pets. I'm wondering, of the three of us, who's owned maybe the weirdest pet? Or I guess an animal that's rarely owned as a pet. So I used to have... um cockatiels like little birds two of them i used to have a siberian husky for a little while you subhound i got him when he was a puppy too and it was the cutest thing i named him saber yeah he was such a cute dog Are Blue you eyes. serious i owned a dog named saber get out <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, did you? yeah he's actually kicking you out of the podcast is basically what he's saying we get out of the pot. Named our dog there can the same only thing. be one what kind of dog was it? Uh, it was a bulldog. Bulldog. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that is interesting. I wonder how he... That's not a saber name. Come on. That's not yeah, a Yeah, man. They're vicious. Saber tooth tiger. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but I know... The, they're actually not the vicious. Bulldogs are like the nicest. Uh, the last animal, actually, the last pet I had was a chameleon. So, change colors, different lighting... Um, he was pretty cool. He had like pinchers. He had a ring for a tail, so his tail like spun around. Uh, he used to hang around a lot. He used to eat crickets, so I used to buy crickets for him and put the crickets in a separate cage underneath his own cage. And his cage was actually like a screen, like a you know a window screen, like air can go in and out basically freely. Um, yeah, I had him for a couple of years actually. I got him because uh, the place where I was working, one of the my co-workers was getting rid of it because he was changing dorms or something and he couldn't like have it anymore, so he was just giving it away. So I got it. Actually, I might have paid for it. I don't remember. Um, but, you know, it was like pretty cheap. And, yeah, he died about, I think, a year or two ago now. Um, oh, I'm sorry, man. 
Yeah, I know. I miss that. I called him, uh, his name was Yoshi. and But I also called him Ringo sometimes. <laughs> and like Ringo Starr. And actually, when he died, it was interesting. I was pretty, like, like disappointed. I feel like I didn't take care of him as well as I should have. I, but in any case, like, I was able to get, you know, send him away, send him off in a really appropriate ceremonial manner. I actually bought two or three, was it, three huge red balloons. There's like the biggest balloons I could find. They were in the shape of a heart, which was funny. Just that's just the biggest balloon that they had, and uh, it said "Pam" on it, which means I think my love or something. And I filled it with helium. And Wait, it I, said what on it? Teamo. Yes, it does mean I love you. I love you. Yeah, yeah. Then I bought like a gift bag, like a little like I don't know dollar store gift bag. I put the dead chameleon inside the bag. I wrote a little note. I said. Uh, Yoshi, you've been great or something. You'll be truly missed. Rest in peace. And then I tied the balloon to the gift bag and I let the gift bag fly out into uh, probably the Charles River or something. I just sent him off in the backyard, so I don't know how far he went. But it, I couldn't see You have no idea him. where he landed? No, no idea. Jumping in someone else's backyard. <laughs> I wish that I put a little camera on it, you know, at the bottom, so it would have been cool to see, like, just the globe as it, you, you I'm just picturing this landing on someone's head. Yeah, <laughs> I really imagine like you know, like a little girl picking it up and like seeing this like paled out chameleon looking like a dinosaur, just cold blooded creature, just looking strange and clearly uh, dead. Wow, and huh? clearly dead. You just said, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a nice gesture that you sent off your chameleon in a ceremony. I just find it slightly interesting that it may have landed on someone's head it's just this <laughs> dead chameleon well it doesn't like land like I, I didn't think it was gonna like just all of a sudden the balloons would explode i think what happened was probably it slowly came back down yeah fair and um so it didn't like land and explode on someone's head it just pro- <laughs> and it probably like you know landed on nothing the likelihood of it landing near a person is unlikely actually if you think about it yeah but um, where he landed is a mystery. Probably in like the Charles River, you know. Probably just went like yeah. into the river. Fortunately, uh, I didn't mean to pollute, but that is yeah. okay. You used to have the whole epic. fireworks thing going on. Mm-hmm. That is that's, quite the that's epic that's story. The story. Um, I've only lost a dog. I've never. I, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my dog when when we lost her, but. You know, I had her for had her in Cuba, so that that whole that's a whole thing. She followed my mom home one day, and then we kept her, and we kept her for a period of about two or three years, and then my mother went on a tri- another trip, and she ran out. The cistern was broken; everyone was carrying buckets of water up and down the building, hmm. and the door was left open. She ran, and that's that's all we knew. We looked for her, but we never found her. But yeah. before this becomes too much of a bummer. Steph, tell us some good stories about your pets. Oh, well, yeah, I was just thinking of how devastating it is to lose a pet. I've never lost a pet, but I've had uh, three dogs now that have passed away. But losing a pet, I think the mystery of it is is very sad. But happy stories. I have some, I don't know if they're happy stories, but they're strange and hilarious. So Saber, the, the bulldog that I mentioned, he ate everything crayons so that when he went to the bathroom outside it would be colorful he ate tube socks and they came out completely whole on the other side meaning they just like cleaned out his whole large and small intestine 
you reminded me of those uh, unicorns who poop out rainbows. So this is this is funny. I, I can just imagine your dog basically with a blast of rainbow from his behind. It's especially cool when it's winter time because you got the white snow, and so it just you know colors on the white snow. Anyway, he was a random dog. He would eat his yeah, food. Yeah, poop out colorful socks. Yeah. Colorful socks. Yeah, he would eat his food so quickly that he would throw it up and then eat it again. I mean, he was the weirdest, grossest dog. Uh, But he was a bulldog, and bulldogs seem very scary. Our mailman probably on multiple occasions refused to deliver the mail because his bark was so ferocious, even though he wasn't accessible. He was locked inside the house. The mailman was just terrified of this dog. But well, they bulldogs, have a bad reputation, even though it's not something they deserve. Like, it's just because people use them in a bad way. It's not because well, and also they are because, inherently being mean. Yeah, they're not inherently mean, but they have a very ferocious bark. And they just look really scary when they bark. So yeah. it's, it's cosmetic. But bulldogs are actually one of the most loyal, gentle breeds. They're the dog that you're supposed to get if you have a newborn baby because they're the most gentle dog with babies. And... So he was actually a really wonderful dog when we were kids, uh, really good with us, and uh, very, very loyal. He even jumped out of the back of uh, the car. He got out as we were driving down the highway and got really hurt doing it. And as my dad pulled up to like a stop stoplight, I guess, this woman in another car was motioning to him, like, look over beyond the many lanes of this highway to the edge. And there's the dog trying to, even though injured, is trying to keep up with our car and follow us and stay with us. So it's just very, very loyal dog. How did it jump out? Oh, it was honestly like just a fantastical scenario. It happens. Dogs, like, if they just love... Did he pick the lock? I wonder where you can go and send your dog to make him do tricks like that. Yes, where they where they injure themselves. I don't. Yeah, that was that was a that I, was I, sad I for I'd us. But he not survived. Have our listeners have. Yeah, I'm glad that he's he survived that horrible incident. I will say, you know what, pet, you probably wouldn't feel too bad about having on a car trip. Worms, and you know how you can get them. Thanks to the new list we got from Wikipedia's wonderful world of weird links, we have learned about a thing called Warm Charming, which you can use to get your own warm pet. Now, listener, if you are curious about how you can have these handy-dandy pets that you can get anywhere you go and are so much fun to have around, all you need is to vibrate on soil. I've never heard anyone describe... A pet as handy dandy. <laughs> he said, <laughs> "That's what it's called, handy dandy pet." Handy dandy. <laughs> All right, I'm not leveled with you, listeners. There, if you ever are curious about weird things in the world, a really good place to go is Wikipedia's list of unusual articles. While looking for topics, we oftentimes come across a list of very unusual articles. This is indeed Wikipedia's list of unusual articles. And sometimes we want to tie it back to the topic of the week. 
And that's exactly what we're doing today. And that's what we're learning about warm charming. Do you want to have a pet of your own? Why not a warm? You can use them for fishing, catching, and just keeping around the house. So how do you do it? All right, so I'm going to describe to you exactly what Wikipedia says you need to do if you want to charm some worms. Not snakes, worms. So apparently, most worm charming methods involve vibrating the soil, which it seems, according to researchers, that scares them into reaching the surface because it makes them think that there is some sort of digging animal coming after them. That's at least the explanation they give for why it comes, why it happens. And there's several words for this. It's, it's either worm charming, worm grunting, or worm fiddling. If you ever want to play the fiddle with a worm, now you know how to do it. This is for earthworms. It's also how it's done if you want to collect bait for fishing. Now, I don't know how you feel about animal rights or about worms or however you feel about any of these things. It's still a cool thing to know. Thank you, Wikipedia. Wikipedia's Weird World Corner. I like how you say... How do you say worm? Say it. Say it. I can't pronounce worm properly. You say it weird. Because I say it with a Y for some reason. So when I think worm with a Y, I think of like a dragon. The name stems from the Old English W-Y-R-M, worm. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. That's why I feel my, what I say sounds like. And they're kind of, uh, is, people relate them to lizards. You know, it's kind of like a yeah. legless lizard to many people. And they view them that way. And some worms are like soil worms. They live in the ground. But there are a lot of worms that live in water, marine worms. So there's lots None of, of them are cute pets. Not None a single one is a cute pet. Make, yeah, cute pet. That, I'd agree. That said, cute is not necessarily the imperative for a pet. Pets don't have to be cute. Although, generally speaking, people want cute pets. It's unusual that you'd see someone having an amoeba as a pet. Or an immortal jellyfish as a pet. Hee <laughs> hee. Say I as the immortal je- jellyfish sits on my sigil for my house, which I will one day found. I think I might get another chameleon. You should. I'm, I was wondering what it reflects about you, actually. You know how pets reflect their owners? If you've ever seen Cruella mm. de Vil, they have this like, segment at I the very beginning where there's like the owners and their dogs and they kind of look like each other. There are cat people, there are dog people, there are bird people, there are chameleon people. I wonder what are the characteristics of a person that makes them like a certain animal more than another? He was so adaptable, like he would adapt to a situation, like, you know, based on his environment, like the colors changed. But You're kind of adaptive. You're adaptive to your environment. Huh? You like get along with any type of person. You're kind I of do. I think, that way. I think that's a. Uh, but the thing is, he moved really slow, and it wasn't like he was just like a very slow-paced type of animal. It wasn't like a lizard. A lizard like runs from one yeah. corner of the room to the next. This thing would take you know maybe an hour to move that distance. It's just very <laughs> slow-moving type of animal. I don't know if you. You ever, if you've ever seen one, but millions are really slow. So that's the opposite of you, I but... Don't think, yeah, <laughs> I, don't I like to... Well, maybe you need some balance in your life. Yeah, that's why you might have an animal that is yeah. slower paced. There's a, if I mean, you have an animal that's... 
Yeah, if you have a very upbeat animal, it might just make you way too tired by the end of the day. It wasn't very difficult to, to like care for either, so it was like low maintenance type of animal. And that's kind of one of the reasons I decided. Because like, I wouldn't be able to handle a dog on my own right now. Like It would be difficult with my roommates and stuff. So I didn't get a dog, although I'd like one. Roaming around in my acres, acres of land. I feel like the issue with owning a dog is, or running really any major, like, large pet, is that you are no longer just you. Now there is an extension of you that you need to take care of, even when you're not around. And you can't just go away for a while and not care what happens with your house because you are still there. Very much so. As your pet. So you will forever have to think about that whenever you want to plan a trip, want to do anything. And that's great because, I mean, in terms of having kids, that's what – you can't just go on vacation with your kid, right? You can't just leave them behind. I mean, you can, but you need to, like, make some heavy adjustments for that. And it's not cheap to do that. Well, you could just send them to their grandparents' house. That's like one. That's still not like you know perfectly cheap necessarily. No, but I'm just imagining that in in the animal kingdom, there's not a lot of grandparenting going around. Yes, there's, it's not, and there's services that I've come across and to meet the demand for that. But it's still not it's still not inexpensive. So I can understand. Like personally, it depends on the me, pet though. Responsibility. Yeah. I mean, cats, for, me, for example. I used to babysit my neighbor's cat. And the cat, like, went in and out of the house through a window, like, on its own the whole week. And all I had to do was make sure that it had some food. And if they had left enough food, it probably would have been fine. I mean, the cat was, like, completely self-sufficient. You've got to be careful about cats that are not um, at home. Because outdoor cats can do a lot of damage to the local ecosystem. Just because they can eat a lot of, like, local birds and stuff that just may not recover because one cat may not do a lot, a lot of damage, but a whole bunch of cats can do a whole bunch of damage. And if that outdoor cat meets another outdoor cat and start having baby outdoor cats with them, then you've oh, got dear. a whole problem. Yeah. I got to say There's too, I think cats are above dogs in, in that sense of the food chain. Cause cats tend to attack dogs more than dogs attack cats. We'd always have, our dogs would always be marred by cats when I was growing up. Like they get, just into trouble with the cats there's actually a documentary about street cats in the city of istanbul turkey uh it's called kide i think kide i'm not sure if it's kide 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 uh yeah i don't know i'm not gonna check it now but the point is they talk about how because there's a that's a real problem in istanbul there are tons of cats street cats and they have these little cat gangs you know and they go up to like like little little boys and girls and they like go into their backpacks and snatch their cash all the time it's happening oh if you want to talk about animal gangs there's some really cool animal gangs in uh, <laughs> in russia so apparently so there's there's dog gangs like all over the place this is not a new thing there's also monkey gangs but i'm not gonna get into monkey gangs right now because they're, they're badass. Not, as usual pets but dog gangs now you gotta watch out for these guys because they will actually do really cool things here's one thing they do They'll send the cutest dog, the little the cutest puppy, to like up to distract a person who's eating a meal. Like they're eating a sandwich on the bench while reading a newspaper. And while the person's distracted with a tiny, cute little puppy, a big, mean one will come along and snatch the sandwich out of your hand and run away. 
And they will actually plan this out. That is insane to me. They'll also know how to use the subway. Why wouldn't they, I guess? Yeah, but the thing with those, the subway, they never actually pay. They just go underneath the turnstile. Yeah, you I, I, You know what? You're, you're right. You're right. You know, dogs not paying their fair share. <laughs> They're not paying their fair share. They're the 1%. It really, it really bothers me. It really grinds my gears when that happens. You know, we talk about that like it's a, it's a silly thing, but seeing eye dogs have to do a ton of things that humans do to ah. navigate dealing with escalators and elevators and subways and cars and, you know, walking home along the street and obeying traffic signals. I mean, it's amazing what animals can learn. You know, we think of pets mostly for companionship and diversion but there are those pets that are useful to us when we lack something that we need a pet for and I think seeing eye dogs is a great example of that I think there are uh, many animals that that act in in place of a weakness dogs let you know before someone even gets to the doorbell uh, many dogs do. They'll bark when they know somebody's approaching at a certain distance. So it's, it's really interesting to see how how animals fulfill kind of a utilitarian function as well for people. Uh, you have sheep herders that own dogs to help, you know, bring the animals around. And this utilitarian side of pets, I wonder if that's one of the major reasons even pets have come to be because they've kind of been a help to humans and then because they help humans in kind of an anthropomorphized role they've become friends dogs were once wolves that just started following us around because we left too much food all over the place (laughs) and similarly uh cats were just great at keeping vermin away so, yeah, you're right. Most domesticated animals served some sort of role. We didn't just keep them around for vanity. It's only, like, relatively recently that vanity pets came to be, right? Where you have, like, kennel clubs. That's a super recent invention. Same thing with most breeds of any animal. Most breeds of dog are from, like, the last hundred years or so. Before then, they were just basically adapted wolves and they had like a couple of breeds but they were meant for like specific roles hunting uh sheep herding uh rescue like there were a bunch of specific roles but before that just wolves and now we have a trillion breeds half of which can't even basically survive on their own because they've been so weirdly mutated and like selected for that they are just unhappy as living creatures in general because they can't breathe they can't barely walk they've got all these problems what which animals are you talking about that dogs condition there is a lot of different breeds of dogs that are just really poorly adapted to being living creatures just because they've been bred to look that certain way if you think about pugs bugs have a horrible time breathing uh, maybe I'm messing up my, my facts specifically with, you know, which breeds are which, but there's many breeds of dog which just do are not happy. Well, and I think that, humans like, are the same way. I mean, I think we make adaptations to how we live and look. Uh, but we don't because, selectively breed humans. 
I think humans Maybe do selectively were, breed. That's a, all that's the not, time. That's a <laughs> topic. Yeah, that is a topic. If you're talking about selective breeding of humans, you're talking possibly about slavery, and that's it. No, I, well, I think it, what I mean is that, yeah, you know, yeah, people yeah. tend to marry into certain families or they or people who look a certain way date people who look uh, I mean there's a lot of that going on you're thinking more on this on, in terms of what we find physically attractive yeah what but that's different from what dogs find physically attractive what a dog likes and another dog if we just let dogs do whatever they want they would different. all probably still look a little bit wolfish it's yeah. because humans, a foreign species, imposed our aesthetics yeah. on them. You're right. That's different. It's like if you said, what do dogs think humans should look like? What do you think humans would look like after a while? That's a very different story. And I think that's something to address another <laughs> time. Well, we've talked about every facet of pets we can think of. And so, dear listeners, piffles consider why you have pets if you do and their place in the world definitely follow us on twitter at the pfl podcast where you can get silly updates and questions on further topics to this discuss uh, we'll see you next week and as always stay crazy, crazy.